Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. This is Brad Lambert from Team Finland. I'm Oscar Olesen from Team Sweden. Hey, this is Dylan Grand. Hi, I'm Lane Hudson from the U.S. National Team. Dion Mishak. Fabian Lucell. Cole Perfetti. Hey, it's Jake Sanson. I play for Team USA. Major Junior. Hey, this is Matthew Kachuk of the London Knights. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. Hey, it's Alex Dabrinkit from the Erie Otters. Gerald Dubois from the Cape Breton Screen Eagles. It's Ashley LaRue from the Halifax Mooseheads. This is John Gunther of the Emerson Oil Kings. NCAA. Hey, this is Noah Hannafin from Boston College. Hey, it's Troy Terry from the Denver Pioneers. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. This is Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota. It's Dylan Hollis from the Wisconsin Badgers. The NHL Draft. U.S. Lovkovsky from TPS. Hey, this is Kevin Krasinski of the Seattle Thunderbirds. Hey, guys, it's Cutter Goche from the U.S. National Team. Hi, it's Matt Savoy with the Winnipeg Ice. Hey, this is Sarah Manzel from Shaska High School. Nessa Goche. I play for the Quebec Ramparts. This is Ty Nelson from the North Bay Battalion. Hey, it's Dylan James from the Sioux City Musketeers. This is Rieger Lorenz from the Okotoks Oilers. And more. And welcome to the Pipeline Show. And this is the Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Good weekend and welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show. It is the uh, first episode in the new year. So happy new year, everybody. 2023 off to a fantastic start, especially if you're a fan of World Junior Hockey and uh, Canada in particular. Uh, This is the Pipeline Show. It's brought to you by our title sponsor, Willock Beef Jerky. It is the absolute best beef jerky that you can find on the planet and uh, had some at Christmas. This has kind of become a, a bit of a tradition around uh, my household. Absolutely hits the spot. Go to wilhawkbeefjerky.com, W-I-L-H-A-U-K, beefjerky.com. You can have it shipped to you anywhere in Western Canada, but there are three locations in the Edmonton area if you happen to be around town. Go to Spruce Grove or Leduc or into West Edmonton Mall and get it at the uh, new kiosk located uh, just steps away from the Ice Palace. Got a great show coming up for you with three uh, terrific guests, but uh, of course we're going to start, as we usually do, with some news and notes, uh, pretty much focused on the World Junior Championship, which uh, is now complete. An overtime thriller for the second year in a row, and for the second year in a row, Canada comes away with the gold medal uh, from the World Junior Championship. Dylan Gunther, what a game he had. Two goals and an assist in a 3-2 victory uh, for Canada over Czechia. And a giant tip of the cap to uh, all of the players uh, with Czechia for a terrific tournament. There are some really great performances this year. And uh, how awesome was it just to see it back in a junior hockey building, this tournament, uh, both in Halifax and Moncton. I wish uh, that it would be like that all the time. Unfortunately, that's probably not going to be the case. I think I'm already hearing that uh, Detroit and Minnesota are uh, vying for the next one that is held in the United States. It would be kind of cool if it was in Minnesota, as if it would be, well, it's probably going to be at the XL uh, Center in St. Paul. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Mariucci, I think I think it's international ice. Uh, well, I'm not 100% on that. Um, but if you're a secondary rink, maybe it's in Duluth. They got a nice building there. Anyway, memorable performances uh, from this one. I, I think you kind of have to start with Connor Bedard, who obliterated Canadian records in this tournament. And... You know, watching it up here and the hype for Connor Bedard, it's extremely high. It seemed like every game, every 
pre-game show, every post-game show, in between periods, it was Connor Bedard, 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 Bedard. It was almost Bedard overload. And not specifically with him, but when you hear that much about a single player so often, you, it's it's almost human nature to start, it starts to annoy you. And you're like, okay, I want to hear about somebody else. Can we stop talking about him? I'm starting to get sick of just Bedard, Bedard, Bedard. And I thought his performance was really good, but it was also really overshadowing some excellent performances from other players on Team Canada, which I'll mention in a second. But then you take a step back and you look at what he did in the tournament and what he's done with his World Junior experience and the records that he's shattered and who held those records and by how much he has raised the bar on all of those records. You got to tip your cap to him. This is a fantastic player. That goal he scored in the semifinal in overtime against Slovakia, I mean, it's not very often that a player lives up to that hype, especially when it's this high now. And you have to say that uh, he's not only lived up to it, but he's exceeding it. He's an extreme talent. Now, that said, there were other uh, performances from Canadians that I think didn't get the attention they probably deserved, Gunther being one of them. I thought Logan Stankoven had an excellent tournament. Shane Wright looked really good at times, and I thought he got better as the tournament went on. Adam Fantilli, same thing got better as the tournament went on. He was actually kind of almost an afterthought for the first half of the event, uh, but got better, certainly into the medal rounds. I thought Brennan Othman was outstanding for Canada. And what can you say about Thomas Millich in in net? So uh, there were some really excellent performances from Canadians. I guess that shouldn't be a surprise considering they uh, took home the gold medal second time in a row, and the first time that's happened since Canada won five in a row way back in the, was it 2005 to 2009, something like that. But other guys who stood out in this tournament uh, for me, well, Logan Cooley and Jimmy Snuggerud from the States. I thought uh, Cutter Goche was good as well. Oh, the other Canadian that I should uh, mention was Joshua Roy. What a fantastic effort he had against Slovakia as well. The two goaltenders, you know, it was funny when we had the pre-tournament preview for the World Junior and I had Scott Wheeler and Chris Peters on, collectively we were all like there isn't a goaltender this year that is like there's no Spencer Knight there's no uh, Askarov there's no Devin Levi the guy that you're looking at and saying oh there's the big nut uh, in between the pipes he's going to lead his team to uh, the gold medal it's obvious that he's the best goaltender in the tournament there wasn't that guy coming into the event this year my pre-tournament pick for goalie of the tournament was Thomas Suhanek who plays for Tri-City in the WHL, and he did eventually win that award in the uh, media all-star team. The directorate uh, gave it to Adam Guyon, who plays in the uh, North American Hockey League for the Chippewa Steel. Both of those guys were fantastic in this event, along with Millich. So there are three guys who I thought really elevated their game. Uh, None of them drafted yet. I would expect that that changes in the 2023 NHL draft. And I know there's been some talk uh, online about how a team should just sign them right now. Uh, they are not free agents. They all have to be drafted. And I confirmed that with a head amateur scout for an NHL franchise uh, late last night. Uh, all have passed through the draft at least once already. But pretty sure that won't happen again. Now, I wasn't out in Halifax or Moncton. Uh, but just watching it on TV, you could tell that the crowd was fantastic in, at both venues. That's why I go back and I say I I hope it's in junior hockey rinks uh, from now on in Canada. Something tells me that uh, probably 
for fiscal reasons and financial uh, reasons, uh, it probably will. Maybe it will for the next couple of events, but uh, eventually it's going to go back to the big markets where they can uh, hopefully sell out bigger buildings. But, you know, if you're going to have it in Ontario, why not play it in London instead of Toronto? If it's in the States, why not like Spokane and Everett? You know, there are, there are options. It doesn't always have to be in an NHL building, at least in my opinion. I think junior hockey is meant for a junior hockey building. Now that the tournament is over, the uh, news on uh, this Friday morning is uh, Shane Wright has been sent back to the OHL's Kingston Frontenacs uh, by the Seattle Kraken. And now everybody is just expecting, awaiting uh, for the news of where he's going to get traded. And that could happen in short order as I refresh the page. It hasn't happened just yet. But there has been uh, some significant trades in uh, all three CHL leagues, which I'll touch on here in a moment as well. Uh, but, okay, so Shane Wright, that one has dropped. There are three other players that I'm wondering if that happens as well. Dylan Gunther is probably the least likely. He's been playing with the Arizona Coyotes, and he's been doing all right. I mean, he's been contributing for them. I know from an Edmonton Oil King perspective, they would love for that to happen, uh, and immediately they would trade him as well. And I think that's probably a, a piece that would impact what happens what happens around the WHL before the trade deadline because of all the tradable assets in the WHL, he's probably the biggest one, but you need to know if he's coming back or not. It could happen. Something tells me it's not going to happen, though, and that uh, he'll go back to Arizona, but I don't know that 100%. If he is sent back to Edmonton, who would he go to? Uh, I would be looking at the Kamloops Blazers, but I've also heard that Seattle, depending on what happens with another fella, uh, could be in that mix as well. And uh, that other guy that I'm talking about is Brad Lambert, who has been playing in uh, in the American Hockey League all season with the Winnipeg or with the Manitoba Moose. Uh, didn't have uh, that notable of a World Junior Championship. Hasn't done a whole lot at the American Hockey League level. I personally don't know why Winnipeg uh, wouldn't send him to Seattle, where you know they are the odds-on favorite right now. They're the number one ranked team in the Canadian Hockey League. I don't see the negative in sending him there. So that's uh, another guy that I'm looking to see what happens with uh, now that the uh, World Junior Tournament is over. As I'm speaking with you, that hasn't happened. Again, that could happen by the time I'm done this sentence. And the fourth guy is Adam Sakura, who uh, Jeff Merrick from Sportsnet uh, was talking about uh, before the tournament started, said that there was a WHL trade basically already in in the works that would see his rights uh, dealt from Medicine Hat to the uh, Saskatoon Blades. And in fact, I know on one of our recent Oil King broadcasts, we ran an interview with Colin Priestner, who's the GM of the Saskatoon Blades, and Les Lazarek, the voice of the Saskatoon Blades. And in that conversation, Sikora's name not brought up specifically, but Priestner commented that uh, he's looking to add a player who's not currently in the WHL, uh, but that it wasn't as close as, it wasn't done, and it wasn't as close as he had hoped that it would be. I'm assuming that is Adam Sikora, but I don't know that. And again, that could happen by the time this episode is uh, edited and uh, out to the public. So keep an eye on Dylan Gunther, Brad Lambert, and Adam Sikora. All right, as I mentioned, the uh, CHL trade deadline here rapidly approaching. It's uh, January 10th, although it's a little bit earlier in the queue, and it's been a busy day in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League for trades. The most notable name that I've seen uh, on the move thus far, and uh, it seems to be uh, changing rapidly, 
But Riley Kidney has been dealt from Acadie Bathurst to uh, the Gatineau Olympique for a couple of players and a first-round pick. Uh, one of those players is uh, Robert Orr, who was in Halifax for a couple of years, then uh, to Gatineau uh, this past offseason, uh, now on the move again to Acadie Bathurst. But uh, Riley Kidney, probably the biggest name that I've seen here today being traded in the queue. Although Sherbrooke also picked up uh, Jakob Brabanek uh, from the Charlottetown Islanders for Joel Marshon and one, two, three, four, five draft picks. So an impact trade there for the Sherbrooke Phoenix. As I refresh the page, no Shane Wright trade yet in the OHL. Uh, but since the turn of the calendar, there's been some uh, some trades of note. Niagara traded Panofemus to the Erie Otters for five draft picks. The London Knights picked up Ryan Winterton and Ryan Humphrey from Hamilton for two players and a second-round pick. Guelph dealt Danny Zilkin to Kitchener for Jesse Fishman and six draft picks. Man, draft picks in the OHL are just... Uh, I don't know if those are high prices to pay or if they're not valued all that much, but lots of draft picks get swapped in the Ontario Hockey League. Tyler Savard goes from the Sioux Greyhounds to Barry for four draft picks. Jacob Holmes goes from Sudbury to Windsor for five draft picks. Windsor also sends six more draft picks to, to Oshawa for Brett Harrison. Meanwhile, in the uh, WHL, the Kamloops Blazers have added a uh, second, maybe third-string goaltender and Matt Keeper from the Regina Pats uh, for a fourth and a sixth-round pick. So it's not like four or five draft picks going uh, to Regina in that deal. I think the most notable trade we've seen here in the dub uh, since the turn of the calendar would be uh, Carson Latimer going from Prince Albert to Winnipeg. Now they gave up uh, Aiden Oyering as well as uh, a third and a conditional third but that's a nice little ad for uh, Winnipeg and not an over-the-top price to pay for a, a guy who can be a complimentary scorer on your team. I think uh, that's a, a nice move for Winnipeg. Red Deer has uh, traded Arjun Bawa a second and a seventh-round pick to the Prince George Cougars for Riker Singer, who was a very late first-round pick in 2020. 17 years old, so would have had to approve that trade. Uh, there was also uh, a deal that the Oil Kings made for another goaltender, Logan Cunningham, uh, coming over from Victoria. He's played a game and a half for the Oil Kings. Looked actually really good in the in the uh, time that he's been here as well. Edmonton giving up a fifth-round pick uh, three years from now to make that deal happen. All right, well, let's get to the show, and here's what's uh, coming down the pipe today. Of course, all my guests join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. Got my uh, restock of Troubled Monk right before Christmas, and that was great to have uh, over the last couple of weeks. Some uh, family get-togethers, and uh, awesome to have some Troubled Monk, not just for myself, but to share with friends and family. Go to troubledmonk.com slash shop, and if you're in Alberta, demand it at your local liquor store if they don't have it already waiting for you. I have three guests for you today. We're going to begin with a 2023 draft spotlight. The player's name is Cole Canubley, plays for the Fargo Force. The Force are the number one team right now in the USHL, and he is their leading scorer. He was draft eligible last year, did not get selected. Uh, and we uh, talk a little bit about that, and I, I don't think there's any chance he doesn't get taken this year. Also just captained uh, the United States to a World Junior A Challenge gold medal finish in December, right before the Christmas break. Lots to talk about with Cole Knubel. We'll do that to lead off the show. 
after that, it's uh, Steve Ewan from the Vancouver province as we chat about the spe- specifically the WHL's Western Conference. I, that wasn't my intention going in, but we did spend most of our time talking about the Western Conference and the lead-up to the trade deadline, what stories he's looking for in the second half. And he has some pretty big expectations uh, that the Kamloops Blazers are going to be really busy before the deadline. What if the Blazers made some mammoth deals? What if, you know, maybe they did get Dylan Gunther? What if they go out and get Olin Zellweger from Everett or something like that? Something, you know, really unexpected and uh, hugely impactful. Those are the kind of deals that uh, Steve Ewan is looking for from Kamloops. We'll talk to him about that. And we will uh, close out this show with uh, Adam Woden from College Hockey News as uh, we don't uh, ignore the NCAA on this program, that's for sure. And the second half gets going in earnest this weekend. So lots to talk about with Adam Woden as well. Well, let's get right to it, and uh, we will kick things off with the 2023 Draft Spotlight. Cole Knubel of the Fargo Force, he is up next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhawk Beef Jerky. Happy New Year, everybody. Got the puck now in the corner. He and Louis Rail do battle. A pair of number sixes toward the front now. A nice play, they score. What a pretty goal by Brendan Brisson, and it's 2-1 Michigan. Hi, this is Brendan Brisson from the Chicago Steel, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Since 1965, Wilhawk Beef Jerky has provided fresh, top-quality beef jerky made with 100% Alberta beef. From your very first bite, you'll understand that real jerky isn't found at the convenience store. It's tender, full of flavor, with just a hint of subtle spices. Wilhawk's jerky is aged, seasoned, and marinated to lock in the flavors, and then smoked to perfection. Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It might just be the best you've ever tasted. Try for yourself. Search W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. I think I'm getting the black lung pop. Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky, uh, but you can get it anywhere in Western Canada, which means my next guest, I can't get it where he is as he's playing in the United States. Uh, and we're going to turn on the 2023 draft spotlight, get to know a player who is uh, draft eligible this year. This segment, we're uh, chatting with Cole Knubel from the Fargo Forest out of the USHL. Cole, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I, I would, uh, I'd be surprised if you said anything other than that, uh, because uh, you're playing on the uh, first place team in the USHL. You're the team's leading scorer. Uh, seems like everything uh, this year is, is working out pretty well for you. Uh, so no surprise with that. Uh, what's going right for you and the Force this season? Yeah, I think, I mean, our start's been... Our start was good to the year, but we've been playing uh, even better now. I think we've had some great – we're a really deep team. Our, our staff's been great. Uh, so the guys have just been clicking all around. For you, your line mates, have they been the same couple of guys all year, or does it change uh, throughout the course of the season? Yeah, I've been playing with the same two guys, uh, Brett Link and Max Swanson. They're fun to play with, so it's been good. What makes the trio click? Yeah, I think uh, – I mean, well, first – Mac uh, Swanson, he's he's really young, especially for the USHL. He's an 06, so I think he's 16. Wow! But uh, he's, probably, he's the best passer I've ever played with for sure. He's, whenever if you think you're you might there's a possibility that you're open, he'll get you the puck. So it's you got to be ready for anything. And then 
Yeah, Linker, I, I played with him, uh, Brett Link. I played with him last year, too, so we got good chemistry. He's really hard on the puck. He forechecks hard, and he's a really good skater. What's your job on that line? Yeah, I think uh, I think I, I like to do a little bit, bit of everything. Uh, I think I get open well for for Mac uh, to, to get me the puck, and then, yeah, and then I like to have the puck in my stick, uh, open up space, find Link, find link for, for him to shoot. He's, he's got a good shot, so try to do a little of everything. Well, and looking at your stats, what you suggest as being, uh, you know, both uh, playmaker and shooter uh, kind of pans out. 13 goals, 16 assists as we're chatting right now. So pretty even spread. And even last year was similar with 20 goals and 29 uh, assists for 49 points um, in your rookie season with Fargo. So do you, do you in your head, do you see yourself more as a setup guy or as a shooter? To be honest, I, I feel I feel like I'm a mix. Um, yeah. You know, I like to be a shooter. I like... I like scoring goals, but I think um, I can use my vision to set up guys. So, yeah, I like to – I mean, I think every every situation's different, so whatever presents itself, that's, that's what I try to do. Well, this being your second season uh, in the USHL, I imagine there's some evolution and some uh, some natural growth uh, to your game. How do you see yourself as a, a player this year compared to last year? Yeah, I think um, definitely I'm a lot stronger than the puck. I think just with the puck, I'm, I'm more, more dominant um, – yeah, I, I def, I'm I'm can beat guys more one on one, and overall, yeah, I'm a little taller, I'm faster, I'm stronger. So it's just overall, I feel I feel like I'm I'm developing. All right, so some uh, just natural maturity uh, that goes along with the the uh, development from a hockey a skills perspective. Some just natural physical development there too. The sheet I'm looking at lists you at five ten one eighty three, but that might be out of date. What are you at now? Yeah, I think I'm I'm five eleven. At the beginning of this year, it's five eleven. Yeah, probably one eighty five ish. Okay. Um, yeah. Do you think you've topped out growing wise? I know your older brother is a little bit taller than that, and your dad was what, like six three two twenty. So maybe there's still a growth spurt yet to come. Or do you think you you've started to slow down when it comes to growing taller? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I whenever I see people, they still say I'm grown. I've I've grown an inch. Uh, I think I grew like an inch over the summer. So okay. At least from last year, yeah. So I I think there's still some more to go. Cole Knubel's my guest. He's a forward with the Fargo Force out of the USHL and draft eligible this year. Uh, now that's the part of the show. This is the part of the show, Cole. We like to introduce the audience to somebody that's draft eligible, and they'll be. It's a junior and college hockey show, so my regular audience will will know about you and the USHL already. Uh, but there'll be a lot of NHL fans who don't care about junior or college hockey who will listen to this just because you're a draft eligible player. So for the benefit of that part of the audience, uh, I'll ask you some basic questions. First, let's start with where did you grow up? I grew up in, uh, well, first. <laughs> so I know it's a tricky question for yeah, you. <laughs> it's a, it's, yeah, I, I, I did some moving. So my my parents were from Michigan, so that was always like our home. Uh, I was born in the summer during the off season of uh, the NHL when my dad was playing. And so I was born in Michigan, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where I would, where I, you know, that's where I mostly grew up. But shortly after I was born and we moved to Sweden because there was an NHL lockout. Yeah. So I lived there for a few months and then I lived uh, near Philadelphia. Then we moved to near Washington, D.C. And then when I was about, I don't know, maybe, I think I, I was in the second grade, uh, we moved back to Michigan. And that's where I, that's where I really, you know, say I, I grew up, West Michigan, Grand Rapids. It's, it's a good city. And then I moved out to Fargo uh, last year. 
you were really young in those uh, the late, the later stages of your dad's NHL careers. Do you remember those stops in Philly or or Washington uh, along the way? Yeah, I, I remember. Um, I remember Washington the most, but that team was that was an exciting team. Ov was Ov Backstrom, John Carlson, Braden Holpe. They, they had a good team, but yeah, I, I remember it. I remember it well. I remember going. I would always go down to the locker room after games. Right. Um, yeah, just just be around the guys. So yeah, I, I remember it well. Probably at that young age, so don't really know the significance of getting that opportunity to to go to the locker room and stuff. But now that dad's retired and you're at the age you are now, it probably means a lot more to you. Almost uh, looking back at it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, especially when you're that young, you don't really realize. Yeah. Like that it's special, but. I mean, getting to go down and just talk to Alex Ovechkin after a game or mess around with him or go to, you know, we would go to like Nicholas Backstrom's house for the Super Bowl. Hmm. That was just, that was just normal to me. But yeah, now I look back, it's it's pretty cool. Well, from a, a playing perspective, uh, obviously your dad probably the influence that got you interested in hockey at a young age. And I, I imagine you started playing fairly young too. Yeah, I think I, uh, I've, I've seen... There's videos of my dad playing mini sticks, and I'm like, I'm in one of those baby things uh, strapped to his chest, and I'm, <laughs> I'm like the goalie with him. So I, I mean, yeah, I was forced into hockey, you can say. Probably started skating when I was around three or four. Okay, and have you always been a forward, or did you try any other positions? No, I was, I was always a forward. That's yeah, always a forward. But my my older brother's forward, my dad's forward, so just trying to be like them. What was minor hockey like? I guess maybe in the Washington area, probably too young in in the in around uh, Philadelphia. But yeah, yeah, and around um, around uh, DC, that was I was a mite. So it was we played out of the Capitals uh, practice rink. Okay, and it it was a good program. Like I think now it's definitely even better than it was. But I think it was a good start for my hockey. When you really relocated back to Michigan, did you find that you were on par with the the rest of your age group, or did you have some catching up to do? Yeah, I I, I think I I was uh, pretty on par. I, I played. I ended up playing with older kids. I played a year up when I got to Michigan. I see. Um, I played my yeah my my uncle uh, my uncle still uh, runs the organization who I started out playing with. So yeah, it was good. I started playing with O threes as an O four. And then went back to 04s, I think, around my Pee Wee major year. Uh, I know uh, the Fox Motors, I'm, I'm guessing, was around the Grand Rapids area. I'm not sure where that's based. Yep. Yeah, so it's in the Grand Rapids area. Okay. Um, but it's like it's the only Tier 1 uh, organization and AAA team in West Michigan. So we had guys, I mean, if you you could go an hour, two hours around Grand Rapids, we had every guy, pretty, we had guys from everywhere. Wow, so some pretty elite company then, and I imagine getting to play with really good players makes you a better player. Yeah, for sure. We we had a great group. Uh, the Detroit teams, that's who we grew up like playing against. We would play them all the time, and those teams were really good. So it was, it was a Michigan, like youth hockey in Michigan. It was, it was fun growing up. It was hard. It was good hockey. Now, I know you played a little bit with the program, not specifically as a member of the team, but getting to uh, fill in from time to time or getting opportunities to join them for, for, for games. Were you invited to try out for the program at one point? Yeah, so I think the tryout was after the U15 year, and I, I wasn't invited to that. Okay. Um, I think they invite like 40 players maybe. Yeah. Uh, 
and uh, so I wasn't invited. And then U16 year, I was doing really good. Uh, I, I something just clicked, I think, in in my game. Um, but I think yeah. So they had a few injuries, and uh, so they asked me to join their team, and I I was there in Detroit, and I was going actually like back and forth from Grand Rapids to Detroit. It's like a two-hour drive. Hmm. Um, so I would like. I would go to my, I would go to high school and then right after I would, I would leave and drive to Detroit or something. If we had a, if there was a game or I would just totally miss school for its practice. So it was tough to do, but that was a great experience. Well, pretty cool that they're calling on you rather than somebody that was invited to try out for the team and just didn't make the cut. So I'm, that's, that's pretty uh, meaningful. At least sounds like it. Yeah, it was, it was, it was cool. All right. Well, uh, last year, your first year with the uh, the Fargo Force playing in the USHL, how big of a jump up uh, was that for you from uh, playing for uh, Fox Motors? Yeah, I mean, you go from youth hockey to juniors, it was it was a big jump. Like guys are just so so much stronger than what you're used to. Um, yeah, obviously the game's faster. I think I think my hockey sense really helped me. Um, I was able to adapt to the to the high pace, and I mean. I think I had a, a, a success, successful rookie season, but I, I learned a ton. Like just from experience of playing, I was able to come into a to the USHL. I was able to play and just and learn learn what it ta- what it takes. So well, a good year though. Forty nine points in sixty two games as a rookie, significant. I mean, seventeen years old. You're talking about your uh, line mate Mac, who uh, was it Mac? That's the the sixteen year old right now. So pretty impressive. Uh, uh, when you're able to yeah. to watch him do what he's doing this season, and I mean, you were that guy last year. Now it was your first year of eligibility last year. You didn't get drafted. Uh, were you disappointed by that? Did you expect to be drafted? What were your thoughts? Yeah, that was. I, I was. I was told by. I mean, I, I'm. To be honest, yeah, I expected to be taken. Um, I think a lot of people did as well. Uh, and it, you know, it was it was frustrating. It was it was really frustrating. Um, but I think for me, like, yeah, I, I think for me, I understand that it, the long road is, is much more important. Like that one, that one moment's not going to change. It doesn't change me as a player. Um, yeah. So I got, I mean, I, I got in the weight room literally the next day, got on the ice probably the next day and worked hard. So and then I'm just trying to prove everyone wrong. That's what I'm trying to do. Why do you think you didn't get selected last year? Um, I think, my skating had part of, had something to do with it. I think um, I think my size and strength did too. Okay, so that those are things that you've uh, worked on this year. And I mean, the the stats speak for themselves. You're having a terrific season. Uh, then you get an opportunity like the World Junior A Challenge. You're the top scorer for the United States in that tournament. Getting to play in an event like that, what was that opportunity like for you? Yeah, it was really cool. It was, it was cool to join up with like the USHL players who who we, uh, I've been playing against for a year or year or two. So it was really cool to you know, meet some of those guys and, and get on a team together. And yeah, it was just, it was just an awesome experience. How do you come together as a group like that? Cause I mean, you're thrown together, you're maybe your familiarity because you're playing with or against a lot of the guys uh, during the course of the season, but to come together and, and have success in a tournament from the outside looking in, I, I don't imagine it's, it's hard for me to envision how, what you guys do to come together as a, a cohesive unit. Yeah, it's tough. Like you jump on the ice the first practice, and everything just seems like you're new gear. You're playing with guys who you never played with before, and I mean, like everyone on that team's, you know, they're they're 
you're you're pretty much your best player on your old team, like your power play, your whatever your penalty kill, you do everything. So mm. we really our first meeting as as a group, we talked about putting our egos behind, leaving leaving them at the door, and I think everyone stuck to that, and the results showed. Well, that's a big showcase event. You got another one coming up in the uh, All American game, and uh, now these are events that are heavily scouted. So was that kind of in the back of your head that these are moments where I can stand out and and uh, really you know get the scouts uh, attention or do you think about that much yeah I, I mean it's obviously you obviously think about it like the big reason why they hold those events but i mean at the same time you don't want to think about it too much like stay stay present in the moment just focus on your game everything everything will take care of itself you know i talked to a lot of players over the course of a season and some of them will say they don't want to think about the nhl draft at all for what you just talked about Bill, but you don't want it to be a distraction there are other guys who tell me they want to know who's got them ranked where, and they use that as motivation. Is that part of it for you at all, Cole, or, or do you try not to think about it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think a mix of both is good. Like, to me, I, I have enough motivation now from not getting picked last year. Right. Um, yeah, and I think that's a I, – I do think that's a good uh, way to look at it. But I think if you think about it too much, I think it distracts from really why – like the the actual important parts of playing and and why you're playing in the USHL or and what your goals are. So obviously your goal is to play in the NHL, but I think I think if you focus on where you're at and how you can be the best at your level, that will help more. Well, before you get to the NHL, you, you're headed to uh, Notre Dame to play for the Irish. Uh, I know your dad was went to Michigan. Your older brother is at Western Michigan. Uh, so you're all taking different paths. Was was that by design? Did you decide? You know, I don't want to follow in the footsteps of dad or brother, and and uh, and why uh, joining the Irish? Uh, why that program for you is the right fit? Yeah, so I I had the the option to to play for those schools, but I mean, if the I felt I wasn't it wasn't the right fit. I mean, and if it was, I would have gone. It, it, it's not like a thing I wanted to. I I knew I wasn't going to go there, but I, you know, I I went on my visit and I decided it wasn't the the best fit for me and I wanted to. I mean, I'm my own player, I'm my own person, so I had to make the decision for me. And yeah, Notre Dame was that choice. I took a lot of time from from when I started to get recruited and and went on my and went on some of my visits. Um, I, I took like I don't know four or five months probably, which is a long time talking to schools and I felt like I got to know the staff really well. Um, I think that my when I was talking on my their their focus on development was something I loved as a player and as a person. I think the campus when I visited, I I really enjoyed it. I could envision myself playing there. Yeah, and it was just a, a culture I wanted to be a part of. And you'll be there next year. Yep. Perfect. Well, listen, Cole. I wish you the best of luck uh, the rest of the way this year with the with the Fargo Force. Uh, you guys are having a terrific season, as I mentioned, top team in the USHL as we're speaking right now. Uh, and uh, best of luck, whatever happens at the draft this year. And and uh, maybe we'll chat again once you join the Irish. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Cole Knubel from the Fargo Force, undrafted last year. I definitely expect he'll be taken in the 2023 NHL draft uh, on his way to the University of Notre Dame to play for the Fighting Irish as early as next year. Next up on the Pipeline Show, joining me via the Troubled Monk Hotline, we're going to hear from Steve Ewan from the Vancouver Province as the WHL's trade deadline right around the corner. 
and he is expecting some significant moves made by one team in particular. Who's that, and who might be on the move? Let's find out when Steve joins me next, here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Hi, this is John Gunther of the Edmonton Oil Kings. And he'll lead out three Oil Kings. Riley Sachuk three on through through neutral ice. Sachuk gains the line, floats it in front for Gunther, charging down. Gunther, and it scores! I didn't think they'd find a way to make that work, but it does. Dylan Gunther tucks it home. It's 6-3 Edmonton. And you're listening to the Pipeline Show. There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The Store Next Door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with, and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks. A lot. A whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Hey, we're back on the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, the program brought to you, of course, by Wilhock Beef Jerky. That's Alberta's best, but you can get it anywhere in Western Canada. Their website is W-I-L-H-A-U-K, beefjerky.com, and they will ship it to you anywhere in Western Canada. Steve Ewan from the Vancouver province is my guest. Uh, Steve, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Thanks for having me. Things are uh, great out here in the West. Looking forward to uh, the second half of the season and what looks to be a very... Very tight Western Conference. Yeah, tight Western Conference, uh, tight Eastern Conference, but at the top Mm -hmm. only, really. I mean, there are a couple of teams in each conference, uh, two or three, that have separated themselves from the pack. Uh, Now, you're covering the Vancouver Giants, and they are right in the thick of uh, hosting in the first round that playoff race, but uh, they're going to have to do it without their leading scorer right now. Samuel Anzac gets uh, dinged up at the World Junior Championship. What's the uh, the latest on that situation? He suffered a, um, a cut to the back of the leg. Against the Americans, uh, I believe it's a four to six week injury. It's not the Achilles; it's above the Achilles. They say it's in the calf. Okay. So they are they are hopeful that rehab will be fairly simple and fairly uh, routine. All right. So well, I mean, that's obviously a big piece of the puzzle there in Vancouver. He's he's been a uh, uh, kind of a, a surprise, a nice surprise this year, though, hasn't he? I don't know that a lot of people were expecting this sort of a season. I, I, they were hoping that, that he would be a top six guy. I didn't think they were hoping that, that he would be a guy that was leading at, at the point he left that was leading all, uh, rookies in scoring. I, I think he's advanced in that way. I, I think he skates better than I think they understood. I think he, his play without the puck is better. I, I, I think he looks, he looks like a legit first round pick from, from, you know, when we've seen initial first round picks come through. He just, he's, Looks like he's played against men before and is, and is just advanced. All right. Well, with the Giants uh, getting him back sooner than maybe what was originally feared, uh, that's good news. However, it's this time of year, and the trade deadline is, as we're speaking, uh, like a week away. 
Uh, as we're chatting, it's Tuesday. I know there was a trade earlier today where uh, Kamloops uh, picked up a second-slash-third-string goaltender uh, from the Regina Pats. Get a sense of what the Vancouver Giants are doing because as we're, as we're speaking, they're in they're in the battle for a uh, for hosting in the first round of the playoffs. But it might be first round and out, and uh, that could be a uh, an interesting debate on what the Giants should do uh, moving forward. What do you get a sense of what their plan is? I think the feel over here is that Seattle is two or three steps ahead of everyone else. That Portland and 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 Kamloops particular when when Kamloops makes it their whatever deals they, they they make will be a step or two ahead of everyone else after that it's very tight yeah so I, I think I think people are thinking <laughs> I think there's that 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 group of teams the the Vancouver's the Everett's the the Colonas the Tri-Cities um you know Prince George I think that there's five teams there that are hopeful to get in you know that four or five slot which, which you know, would be kind of a pick'em series, and maybe get, maybe get into it, you know, it really improve your chances of getting to a second round. So I, I think that's what they're thinking. <laughs> I know that Vancouver was. I I know that if Hansik, uh the injury was was longer term, I I I'm pretty sure they were thinking about becoming a seller. Mm-hmm. I, I think that really. And there was some concern there. I, I think they'll, right now as we speak, I think they'll make conservative ads. I think they'll try and get maybe an older defenseman and an older forward. Uh, I, I do think that people are going to come. I, I think Kamloops is going to make, make a two, two or three bigger deals or try and make two or three bigger deals. That, you know, there's, there's connections between, uh, Kamloops owner Tom, Tom Hardy and, Giants owner Ron Jalego, I think uh, there'll be some conversation there. I I, I still think Vancouver is going to avoid selling. That would answer one big question. Then is obviously I think if Vancouver was a seller, there'd be a lot of teams or some teams at the top who'd be calling for Zach Ostopchuk. He's a signed player, probably not back in the WHL next year. But uh, you're believing that uh, Vancouver is not going to be a seller. So I think if I I think someone will come calling. I think they would have to. I maybe like uh, pay what Seattle paid for Nolan Allen. Right. I, I I think you would. I think they would want in that vicinity. Now you mentioned Seattle at the top. Portland, right? They're only a point behind the uh, the Seattle Thunderbirds right now. It's kind of a two team mm-hmm. echelon uh, or vanguard at the top of the Western Conference. The Camelot Blazers are hosting, though. They're probably not going to be satisfied with just getting to the Memorial Cup as hosts. You want to put on a pretty good show and be competitive. Mm-hmm. Are they done? They, no. they, you would have to think. I I expect they they're making calls. No. I, they, my understanding is that they are phoning and they're trying to find find multiple dance partners. I think they realize that they've they've got uh, to 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 catch late, to to hang with the Seattle's and the Portlands that, that they've got some work to do. Uh, I think there's a belief that that Seattle's not finished. That Seattle still has traffic to move. So I, I think uh, I, I think that January 9th, January 10th could get crazy. I, I think there could be lots of people, lots of people looking. I mean, the other side of it, you've got those five teams in that middle of that pack that that are trying to thinking that they can get at least two two playoff series in if they if things roll roll right for them too. Right. So 
Um, I, I right as we sit here today, I think there's more buyers than sellers, particularly in the West. I think if you, I think once that first domino falls, I wonder if other dominoes will fall, or people will go, okay, well that that increases our chances of getting into that four or five slot. I don't know which way it's going to play out. Yeah, there's not that many teams in the league who are really looking on the outside at the playoffs right now, outside of Edmonton and, and probably Spokane. Maybe even Victoria thinks they still have uh, a chance well, of getting into the mix. Yeah, I was going to say they they were they were just here and and talking kind of the buzz around their camp was that they you know if we get healthy, there's so many head-to-head games we you know we could jump up and catch a Cologne or jump up and catch a Vancouver and we could we can get back in this thing. I don't know if that's uh, wishful thinking. I don't know if that's promotional to kind of, you know, up the, up the prices of, of kind of what they're doing or that's, you know, the way they feel that they, that they really think that they can, they can get back in the race and get some, get some playoff chance. I do. Yeah. I don't, I don't know about you. I'm hearing more and more about teams wanting to get playoff chance. Yeah. Wanting to make some money back, wanting to, Wanting to win some fans back, wanting to get their their guys in the playoffs, you know, just still trying to overcome some of the things that happened due to due to COVID. For one round and out, most years is kind of disappointing, but maybe this year because of that, uh, the financial uh, aspect of it, maybe one round and done is more important this year than before. I I, I do. I think so. I think just just to, I think financially, I think in terms of creating momentum going into next year. With your fan base, I, I, I mean, crowds have been down all over. Yeah, uh, I just, I, you know, I think people are trying to trying to figure out where it's at. I know, I think the Regina situation is interesting because you would assume there's a there's a hockey logic that says they should be a they should be a seller, but how do you how do you sell one of the best players that this league's seen in the last what twenty five years? Right, yeah. I, I think there's some really interesting questions to be answered come come uh the end of the end of january 10th all right are there some teams that you're surprised where they are right now in the standings especially in the western conference i expected more from prince george and Kelowna, and uh, to see them and everett as far as that goes to see them where they are right now for me a bit of a surprise but is it a surprise to you you're closer to it certainly than where i am a little bit i didn't i mean i i thought uh prince george is maybe Maybe next year's their year. I was little. I thought I I didn't know Portland would jump jump away from the kind of the main group and be out there. I think they're. I thought they were a year away. I think you're you're hearing some of that out of Portland that maybe maybe that will keep them from being a kind of a hardcore buyer mm. that they think that their their next year their good year is next year. Um, yeah, I. I Kelowna has been interesting to me because they 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 spent so much capital for their Mem Cup year that didn't happen. Yeah. So you know you wonder if if that doesn't lead to them you know being a being a seller. I mean, I, kind of the the early word is that they you know they think they can get in. So I, I they're every you know like you wonder everybody you know do people really think they could get in or are they saying that they're, you know, going to get in trying to, trying to up the prices? Well, a similar situation for, for Kelowna now is they've got a star player who's uh, injured at the world junior championship. So if Kelowna's going to get in they they got to do it without the services of Colton doc. 
Uh, and that is an up, a bit of an uphill battle for them, isn't it? Again, yeah, yeah. Again, I think they saw reports today that he's going to Chicago. They're going to look at him, and then they'll they'll kind of assess where they're at. They've got five games against Vancouver in about fifteen in a span of fifteen days, where Vancouver's <laughs> missing Hansik. They're going to be missing Doc. So, does that change your thinking? Knowing that the you know the team you're playing is also missing one of their gunners. I I don't know. I thought, but. I, it's it's fascinating. There's just so many ways that that you know that this could play out. So, if you're a betting man, do you think Brad Lambert ends up in Seattle? I, I yes, I think. I mean, I, I think you look and say they, they've got a very good chance of being, you know, playing well into May. I, I think it's and there's so many NHL guys there, and they look so loaded. And I mean, I saw them. They 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 played in Vancouver twice in the first what, four weeks or five weeks of the season when, and I thought they were good when they were missing seven or eight guys. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, to, you know, just to look at what they've gotten. I, I, I was impressed last year, right. Big and strong and, and fast. And, you know, they looked, they, you know, they just look like a playoff team. So yeah, I, I, it would not surprise me at all if they went, yeah, you know, here's a good spot. Here's, you know, you're going to be playing with good guys, playing in a good situation, playing in, Kind of a playoff spot, so yeah, I I, I would not be surprised to to see him there. Here's a, good, a little a kind of a fun fact: Samuel Samuel Hansen thought that he was going to Seattle hmm. for the longest time. <laughs> that was the team that that he talked to uh, first, and the team that he talked to the most up until up up until the point that Vancouver picked him in the draft. Interesting. Well, that is interesting. Yeah. Well, Seattle is so deep right now. They're out without, uh, what, four or five guys who are all the way at the World Junior Championship and have been for, it's been like three weeks now. And Seattle has yeah. won 12. They're 12 0 and 1 in their last 13 games. So they haven't missed a beat, even though some of their top players aren't with them. Oh, they, they're just, yeah, they, they look like a playoff team. They just look like a big, strong, you know, they can. They're fat, you know. They can play a speed game with you. They can, they can, they can play physical. They've, uh, you know, they've got two goalies. They've, yeah, they've got a very nice club. Is there a team in the WHL you think that can give them the toughest battle in particular compared to anyone else? Wait and see what Camus does. I, I get the feeling that Tom Tom uh, Gallardi has got this tournament, really fought to get this this Mem Cup. Uh, they're going to be all in. They're going to go out and and really try and try and create something. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I, I'm waiting. I think they've got two or three big trades in them. I, I, I think he's going to be making phone calls and calling on owners. And hmm. yeah, I, I think that uh, Kamloops will, Kamloops will 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 leave leave no stone unturned over the next. What is it? Eight eight or yeah. Eight or nine days. Yeah. Uh, all right. Before I let you go, Steve, I should ask you your thoughts on the World Junior Championship that we've seen so far. As we're recording right now, uh, the semifinal has not happened yet. Uh, this show will come out on uh, Friday, so it'll be done by then. But to this point, uh, I mean, Connor Bedard has been fantastic. Can't take anything away from him, right? I mean, this guy is special. You just expect him to do something every time he's got the puck now. Like You expect him to... to when he doesn't score, you're surprised, right? When he doesn't do something highlight reel, you're surprised. And it's just to, to, to be able to do that with everyone 
expecting you to do that with everyone, with your opposition set up to think you're going to do that. I, you know, I think is as says something about the kids says I he's been the hype has been like nothing we've ever seen before, maybe. Mm-hmm. And he's done better than the hype. He's lived up to it at least. Yeah. Yeah, at the very least. And how often do you see that? You you see, you know, in in this age of social media and, and you know, just just people going, you know, just going bananas promoting quite often things aren't as good as we expect them to be. He's been at least that, if not better, which is a tribute to the kid. And he's, he's handled it all so well, which I think is a tribute to his parents. I think he's, he just seems to be a very together young man. So. He's been so good. He's overshadowing some really good performances from other players as well. I think Logan Stankoven has been outstanding in this tournament, yeah. uh, but is, is not getting the hype that he would normally with the way that he's been playing. But he's a terrific player too, isn't he? He, it's going to be fun to see him finish his WHL career in in, in a in a Mem Cup in his hometown. Um, I, I, I it, I'm still to this still shocked that how did he get into the second round of the Dallas Stars? Like it just still kind of stuns me. He I, I, he seems to play his best against the Giants too. So we we've mm-hmm. seen him do amazing things, and and he's. It seems to be a really good kid too. I, I think he's he's really, again, somebody that, that's really together and very well spoken and a real kind of um, uh, kind of a tribute to that to that to that blazer uh, group and and again another kid that seems to be well you know kind of well raised and uh, you know have a, a very good family background. Steve, any other stories that you're chasing right now or watching for uh, in the second half of the WHL season outside of whatever happens at the deadline? Just trying to see where the deadline is going and trying to see what the Blazers are doing. And, and I, I, it'll be it'll be fun to, to try and chase down the deals that almost happened. Yeah. Because I, I think there could be some of them. I think there, there's there's some, you know, w- you know what, what did Vancouver get offered for you – know, for Zach or, or, or what does Everett get offered for Zellweger and try and find out, you know, you know, what's the biggest, biggest trade that didn't happen. What does, does someone, does, does Kamloops make a legitimate play for, for, for the, the Pats? Do they, you know, do they, do you, do they make a real offer for Connor, uh, Bernard? So yeah, I, I think that's going to be the fun one is, is, is to try and try and, Try and find out the deals that that you know just kind of fell through at the last minute. Well, I'll leave it to you to ask John Paddock that question. I'll I'll, I'll leave you with a story. I was uh, they were here uh, for the start of their BC trip, and it was kind of the 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 end of the end of the pressure. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't think they should trade him. I was trying to ask him that in a way that he would answer it, but that showed him that I thought that. So right. I said. I said, "Hey, uh, January 10th's coming up," and I was gonna, you know, I wanted to ask him, "Did you know? Have you gotten any any legitimate offers for for Connor Bedard?" And I got to, "Hey, Jan- January 10th's coming up," and he looks at me, and goes, "What?" And I don't know if he didn't hear me or was trying to kind of, you know, back me up. And I said, "Hey, Jen," and and I got to all I got out was January 10th again. And he was like, that's a stupid question. I thought, well, I never even actually asked the question. <laughs> <laughs> All I thought it was the date, right? So, yeah. 
yeah, it didn't, it didn't go well. And then, uh, somebody else tried to back into it and he didn't have any of it. And that was the end of his conversation. So yeah. it, when, uh, they brought out Bedard next and one of the other media guys yells across the scrum at me and says, uh, Hey, if you're going to ask the trade question to Connor, could you ask it last so we get some other stuff in? Because <laughs> I we completely shut down the press conference with with panic. I mean, didn't really mean to do it, to be honest. Well, that's the way it goes. I'm sure he uh, knew to expect it uh, on that Western trip for uh, for the yeah, well, for the pass. I, it's not. I'm pretty sure it's not the worst thing that's ever happened to him. That's right. We'll see. Uh, Steve, I I really appreciate your time and uh, enjoy the rest of the season. Thanks so much, Nick. There's Steve Ewan from the Vancouver province. Now, since I had that conversation with Steve, the World Junior Championship is now complete. We know that Canada won. The takeaways now after the conversation with Steve and some of the things that have happened since then. In the OHL, Shane Wright has been sent back from the NHL Seattle Kraken uh, back to Kingston. As I'm speaking with you right now, Friday afternoon, there hasn't been a trade yet in the OHL involving Shane Wright, uh, but that could happen at any second. A couple of the other players we talked about, Adam Sikora, reportedly by Chris Johnson from uh, Sportsnet, uh, he's going back to Europe, so he is not going to be involved in a trade from Medicine Hat. The Rangers aren't going to send him back to the w- or to the WHL, not back to the WHL. He's going back to Europe, so Sikora is out of the uh, equation. Dylan Gunther reportedly going back to Arizona, so not there for the Edmonton Oil Kings to trade either. So those are two significant pieces that potentially were in play that are no longer in play. Brad Lambert, according to Jeff Merrick, is expected to join the Seattle Thunderbirds this weekend. That would send a couple of uh, valuable trade commodities to the Saskatoon Blades as part of that conditional trade. So Saskatoon would have a little bit more ammo, if you will, to make something happen should there be somebody out there that they like. So it's going to be a very interesting weekend uh, to see what happens in the WHL before the January 10th deadline. All right, we got one more segment to go. It's going to be an NCAA campus report with Adam Woden from College Hockey News. That's next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Hi, I'm Matthew Wood, part of the University of Connecticut. Power play is over. Teams are five aside. Sent out front. Score! The freshman, Matthew Wood, and UConn has finally dented the brick wall that is Jakob Dobush. I'm here with the Pipeline Show. talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 93% rate. Trevor Zegras. And they score on the lacrosse move! Jake Gensel. Gensel banks it towards the goalie score! Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr. He scores! Stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you're a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. My goodness gracious me! Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. I can't sugarcoat this. We're at threat level midnight. All right, final segment to go on this week's episode of The Pipeline Show, and it's a NCAA campus report brought to you by our pals 
at College Hockey Inc. If you are a player or have one in your family and you need to know what you can and can't do to maintain your eligibility, get in contact with Mike Snee or the crew over at College Hockey Inc. and they will uh, answer any questions that you might have. My guest this week is the managing editor of College Hockey News, and that is Adam Woden. Uh, Adam, welcome back to the Pipeline Show, and Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, all that stuff. Uh, I, I know it was a bit of a hassle for well for a lot of people this year, and uh, you weren't able to avoid the uh, the travel nightmares uh, as well. So let's skip yeah. past all of that and get to uh, get to the hockey stuff. Uh, but thanks for uh, taking the time and, and being available. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Anyone who wants to hear about that can listen to the first 10 minutes of our podcast because I ranted about it there. You know what? I never ask you about that. Where do people find the the uh, podcast that you guys do? Because it's outstanding. Uh, yeah, I appreciate it. I mean, if you just search College Hockey News in any of your favorite podcast apps, it should be there. Uh, also on, on the website, I mean, if you went to the On the Air tab at the top, I mean, our, all of our podcasts are there. So, And you could subscribe from there as well. All right, perfect. Uh, all right, well, let's get to uh, what we were looking at for the, basically the second half of the season now that the uh, holiday break is behind us. Is there a team in particular that you think has been a surprise thus far that you're wondering if they can keep it up or not? Yeah, well, when people have asked me this before, I mean, I, I got asked this a couple of weeks ago by somebody at the time. Both of the teams I'm going to mention were higher in the pairwise. They both had uh, <laughs> a little bit of a rough couple of weeks, but they're still – in the top 15, still would make the NCAA tournament if it happened today, and it's uh, Merrimack and Michigan State. And someone asked me which one is more surprising, and Merrimack has been as high as three, and right now they're at six. Mm-hmm. Michigan State was as high as eight, and now they're at 13. Uh, even though Merrimack's been a little bit higher, I've been saying that Michigan State is the bigger surprise, only because Merrimack has been building this for a little while now. You know, they, they have taken a big leap, leap from, let's say, around, you know, 25 up into the top five of the pairwise this year, but their you know their coach has been there for a few years now, and he's been slowly building and uh, to to reach to this point, and so it's a little bit less surprising, maybe surprising that they're as high as they are, but uh, not shocking to me that they're they're in the mix this year. But Michigan State, I mean, coming off you know the fact that they haven't had a winning season in ten years mm-hmm. and gone through two other head coaches already, both of which were alums, now they try a third alum in all three cases you know, their first head coaching job. And in the second consecutive case, Adam Nightingale now at, with Dan Cole, the previous one, both coming from the same place, the U.S. Junior National Program. So all the signs would indicate, well, they're just going back to the same well. This is not, why is this going to work any better than what it did before? And, you know, but obviously different coaches, different philosophies and, and different ways of going about things. And Adam Nightingale has done a tremendous job just getting this team to what it is. Cause it really, I mean, it doesn't have a lot of blue chip talent mm-hmm. and they're trying now. I mean, their recruiting class for next year is tremendous. Trey Augustine, of course, has been prominent at the world juniors as their goaltender. He's a Michigan state recruit. He'll come in next year. So, I mean, that's just an example of the kind of better talent they're bringing in, but I mean, they don't really have it this year, but they've just been able to work with what they have. So, you know, they may still not make the NCAA tournament. They're on the bubble now. Uh, like I said, they were as high as eight. Now they're 13. But um, to me, the job that he has done, the systems that he's implemented, the way he's gone about handling uh, everything there. And, you know, and I should mention, too, their future is bright as well, because it's not just um, the new coach, but they have renovations to their arena, which has been a very attractive thing as far as recruits are concerned. So it's not only that Adam Nightingale, the miracle worker, it's also got that 
uh, in his pocket that he can, you know, tell to recruits. So that's an advantage that he's had over his predecessors. Yeah, 10 years, you said, since they last had a winning season. It really feels like a long time since the Spartans were, you know, in the mix, relevant even uh, in, for college hockey. And Merrimack, have they ever been ranked as high as they are this year? There was a point in time, and, uh, you know, I like to go by the pairwise as opposed to polls, as sure. you know. <laughs> but uh, there was a point uh, that they made the NCAA tournament, I think it was 2011. And then the next year, at one point, like in the middle of the year, they were actually number one. Wow. Uh, but they, they had a terrible second half and just faded out of the end. NCAA picture entirely. There's usually always one. People always ask me, like, can you trust the pairwise at like December? I'm like, you usually, you pretty much can. Like, it's kind of like the NHL standings. You know, if you're in the playoffs by uh, December 1st, it's usually like 75% chance. Same, same kind of thing. I mean, yeah. but Merrimack was one of the exceptions that year where they kind of plummeted out. So, but yeah, I mean, that's, but that was the only other time that was a uh, previous coaching set. Mark Denny, he uh, was now at the New Jersey Devils, but. Uh, so, you know, and now, now Scott Boric has been kind of building things back up, but they're also a team that's not going to have a lot of blue chippers, you know, but, um, you know, you can make, you can make it work. I mean, we've seen, seen that formula work in college hockey and, uh, you know, they've given them a lot of credit. Another thing Merrimack is doing this year, and I noticed a, a few other teams are doing it as well. They seem to really be embracing the goaltending tandem, uh, system, there. They've got a couple of goaltenders who right now are ranked in the top 10 for goaltender stats. And, uh, Connecticut's another one that's uh, rotating their goalies. St. Cloud State rotating their goalies. It seems like one guy plays Friday, the other guy plays Saturday, uh, and they just keep going back and forth. Is that a growing trend in your opinion, or is that? I, I mean, I think we're seeing it kind of at the NHL level, and maybe it's trickling down, or maybe I'm just uh, misreading that and it, I'm just noticing it a little bit more. But uh, <laughs> do you have a take on that? Yeah. No, I've noticed it too. At Ferris State's another one. I think uh, Omaha. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Uh, even Colorado College a bit. With I know Embereco is uh, on the World Junior Team is is prominent there, but they've had other guys. So I think there's probably a couple others we're missing. But yeah, no, I, I agree that there seems to be more. I just don't know if it's a coincidence, you know, because sometimes you're just in a situation where you're not sure who your number one guy is, so you play both, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, it's happening a little bit more in the NHL. I mean, the trend went so far in one direction. I remember in the 80s when I was growing up, I mean, it was common to have, I mean, I mean Billy, as an Islander fan, Billy Smith would never play more than like 50 games a year. Mm-hmm. You know, there was always uh, Roly Melanson or Chico Resch or something like that. It was playing 30, 35 games, Kelly Rudy. And then, uh, then it went the other way. Grant Fuhr, I think, started that where he was playing like, you know, 70 games a year and Hasek and all them. And uh, so I agree that it seems to be trickling back the other way. I just don't know. Like this year seems to be, I mean, it, it came along so sudden. It's not like I've seen like it trending over the last few years. It seems like this year, a lot of it's coincidence, but I do think there's probably a little piece of it where people are starting to realize now that uh, maybe, you know, playing every minute of every game is not a, a good idea. Of course, in college, there's a lot fewer games. Yes. So you kind of get away with it. Um, so it may be, you know, reading too much into it to say that they're following the, a little bit of the NHL trend lately, but, um, but it definitely is, is there. I think we have to wait a little longer to see if that's a college hockey trend or not. One of the stories I saw at college hockey news, uh, is about, uh, the return of, uh, Khalil Sadloka, if I pronounce that uh, even yeah. close to correct. Uh, now he was the player who was, uh, he uttered racial slurs and he was kind of banished yeah. from the organization for a couple of months. Uh, but he returns to Ohio State this weekend. 
coincidentally, they're playing Michigan State, the team that uh, the incident took place in. Uh, it's uh, I don't know if this is by design or if it's just coincidence. Uh, what do you think? It is a definite. It's definitely a coincidence. It is an unfortunate coincidence in a way, but it also in another way, it kind of might actually work out because um, they were going to have to play them again eventually anyway this year. So maybe better to get it out of the way here than later because I, there's no guarantee. Actually, I mean, I don't know for sure until I see the lineup tomorrow that uh, he's going to actually play. You know what I mean? I mean, he's back with the team. Right. I think if Ohio State was smart, they would not play him. But, you know, by the same token, I'm not really that concerned that something bad's going to happen. So if he plays, he plays. I mean, I know there are some people, obviously, that just wanted him kicked off the team entirely. But taking that out of the picture for a second, I, mean, I, don't, have, I don't have a problem with him getting a so-called second chance. Adam Nightingale, the... Michigan State head coach uh, also mentioned in the, the local papers that he is all has no problem with him coming back in the lineup, and he he, he said he uh, is sure that Ohio State has handled it the right way as a teaching moment and all that jazz. So, um, and he's sure that his player Jagger Joshua is going to be you know fine uh, as far as handling. I mean, he, <laughs> Jagger Joshua. I mean, completely separate story from all that. We actually had this story in College Hockey News, but. Uh, you know, he, he has a tendency to take a lot of penalties because he's a big 6'3 guy and he was still trying to figure out, you know, how to play the game, you know, without taking penalties. And he already has three game misconducts this year. So forgetting all this other stuff, he can't afford to mm-hmm. <laughs> take anything or do anything dumb on the ice um, to somebody because he's going to be, be suspended for a few games himself if he got kicked out of another game. So just from that standpoint, he'll be fine. But, I mean, you know, he doesn't strike me as uh, – someone who's going to like, you know, take revenge or something like that anyway. So, but it is interesting. Like I said, I, you know, Ohio state has still handled this kind of weirdly. I mean, obviously they only suspended said Loka after Jagger Joshua went out on social media and, you know, basically told the world what happened. Right. Um, and then after that, Ohio state was, oh, 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 you know, after the backlash, maybe we should suspend them, but they never actually called it a suspension. And if you think about it, like, you know, I mean, getting any clarification out of them is impossible, but, uh, you know, it was it was the Thanksgiving break as far as school is concerned. So they were able to say that we were just sending him home uh, without saying suspended because he's probably going home somewhere for 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 Thanksgiving break anyway. And then, of course, it's only a couple of games before the Christmas and New Year's holiday break. So. You know, as far as like his schooling is concerned, he probably could have finished up finals remotely or stuff like that. You know what I mean? So like now he comes back as Ohio State's, I'm sure, starting their second semester Mm -hmm. uh, as far as schooling is concerned. You know, there's still a school involved. And so, you know, because he still has to go to school. So it's like they've been very vague about what exactly it is. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, we'll send him home, quote unquote. Uh, You know, it was just like for them they probably figured, well, it's the break anyway, you know? So I, I don't know. I don't know. Like whether he really got so-called suspended. I mean, he obviously didn't play their last five, was it four or five games? Um, but he played that first weekend before anyone really knew about it. So anyway, I don't know if he's going to actually play. Like I said, if they're smart, I think they just hold him out and let him practice and say, oh, he's not up to game shape yet. Uh, but, you know, I expect him back. And then who knows, they could play each other in the playoffs anyway. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. 
Adam Wodham from College Hockey News is my guest, uh, chatting some uh, NCAA hockey uh, stories that we're looking for uh, and uh, following here for the as the second half gets going uh, in earnest here this weekend. At the start, I asked you about surprising teams in a good way. Uh, there's some surprising teams where they're sitting right now in the pairwise that we're not used to seeing where they are right now. North Dakota is 18. Uh, Boston College is 21. Minnesota State is 24 right now. Uh, and uh, some other teams, I think uh, Minnesota uh, Duluth is is uh, well down the, the list, I think outside of the, the top 30. Uh, Clarkson out there as well. Uh, there's some teams that are really surprisingly uh, struggling this year. Are any of those in particular surprises for you? Honestly, the weird thing I'm gonna the, the answer I have is probably the one that is least on people's radar is Clarkson because to me they were going to be easily a top 15 tournament team this year and they're at 34 as you said. I mean they've shown flashes of brilliance. They just won this tournament in Milwaukee, mm-hmm. uh, beating UMass uh, along the way. But every time they seem to have gotten over the hump, they've gone back the other way. So. Um, but the, you know, as far as the other ones are concerned, yeah, it's surprising because they're big names, but you know, they've, they've had a lot of losses and I don't look into any of them really as a big problem other than it being cyclical, you know, I mean, Minnesota state was bound to go down eventually. They've been a dominant for seven years. They lost Dryden McKay, you know, guy who plays every minute of every game and goal, you know, and of course I'm always the one who was a little skeptical of his numbers because their defense is so good. And he was facing like 13 shots a game, but we are seeing the difference now without him there because he was allowing like zero or one goal in 13 shots. And his replacements have been allowing two or three goals in 13 shots. And that is why they're losing games. So, you know, we, you know, it's, it, that's a big difference. And uh, like, as far as Minnesota Duluth, I mean, you know, it's hard to worry about them. Um, I'm sure they'll be fine. Obviously, a proven commodity and, uh, again, cyclical. Um, they'll be back. North Dakota at 18, you know, uh, I think, you know, they've been hurt in the back line. They've lost a lot of high-end guys in the back line recently. Uh, I think most of them are in Ottawa now. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I, I, and I've, I've seen our friend Brad Schlossen of the Grand Forks Herald do articles about how, you know, if you look – Inside the numbers, North Dakota actually looks like they're playing much better than their record indicates. Mm-hmm. I mean, that doesn't help them as far as making the NCAA tournament, but you know, maybe it's not as bad as it looks. It's just running into some bad luck, hot goaltending, whatever it is. Uh, maybe some of it is just they don't have the guys to finish right now, which uh, that, that could be it as well. So it's um, it, you know all those things. Like I said, it's not shocking to me. I mean, BC is actually BC is in a better spot than they were a month ago up at 21 and they've actually been playing better lately, but you know, they, they, their cupboard was bare a little bit too, as far as like, you know, major, I mean, look, I'm not crying for them. They've got plenty of guys, but um, not, not having a full roster of like major guys, you know, that's so much the turnover they've had in recent years, new head coach in Greg Brown. So I think they'll be fine. Their recruiting is looking unbelievable for next year and they'll be back as well. So I'm not worried about any of those schools. It's just one of those things. Clarkson's the only one where I was surprised by, to be honest with you. So, uh, you know, I, they'll have to make a run in the in the ECAC tournament at this point to make the NCAAs. Another one for me was Northeastern. Uh, Devin Levi's numbers yeah, oh, this yeah. year look absolutely human, and we're not used to that. Yeah, you know, I didn't have them as high as some other people did, but I certainly had them, you know, in the running for the NCAAs. I know some people had them, like, in the top five because of Devin Levi coming back and everything and hitting phenomenal in goal but uh they've just been crazily inconsistent i mean even levi has not been 
you know, they need him to stand in his head and he hasn't done that. He's been, he's been fine for the most part, but he hasn't been like, you know, Hobie winner candidate, uh, Devin Levi. So, you know, it's, uh, and it seems to have snowballed here. I mean, they, they're, they started out okay. And it seems lately that their, their confidence is just shot. You know, when you watch them, it's, it's, uh, you wonder where it's gone. I mean, there, there, there have been a number of their forwards that have been making really good progress. I thought, uh, from last year to this year and even towards the end of last year. And then it just seemed to, you know, they lost a couple games and it went South all of a sudden. So I don't know if like, you know, they got like, Oh, Devin Levi is not invincible. And now all of a sudden we all feel a little vulnerable. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's definitely snowballed in them. I don't know if, you know, they don't have much time to pull it back together. I mean, they're, they're not going to make the NCAAs from an at large standpoint, but uh, you know, that whole hockey East, I mean, I still think it's kind of up for grabs as far as, like a postseason tournament for the conference is concerned. Last one for me, Adam, uh, is I'm looking at Western Michigan. I'm wondering if they're a, a, a one-line team with a very, very, very good one-line, or are they legit uh, as national uh, champion uh, um, contenders, at least? Uh, Ryan McAllister, Jason <laughs> Pohl, and Max Sasson, they're having an unbelievable season as a trio. Uh, but do they have the depth that you that you probably need once you get to the tournament? Yeah, I'll uh, I'll pump our podcast a little bit here again. As I just spoke to Jason Herder for about a half an hour, he's their assistant coach. He was assuming the head coaching role with Pat Firschweiler was at the uh, World Juniors. Uh, he's the normal head coach, and the Herder, of course, was the re- uh, recruiting master for Duluth with all their championships. Mm-hmm. And uh, then he kind of stepped down. But him and Firschweiler are old friends. And they always said if any one of them becomes a head coach, the other one will go with them. So he he said he was on his tractor in Saskatchewan. I don't know. He's from Saskatchewan, but he's in northern Minnesota uh, when when first got uh, hired as the head coach a couple of years ago. He said, well, I'm back now. So uh, anyway, so I was talking to him uh, about all this yesterday. And, uh, you know, the focus, to be honest, and I even apologize. I'm sorry for continuing to focus just on this top three guys but i mean i kind of have to i mean what else are you going to do you know mm-hmm. so they do have some other guys i'm not going to say that there's no you know i think they're they're decent but as far as why they're back in the nca hunt this year i mean clearly you know they're they're outscoring teams like crazy i mean their goaltending has not really been that good the, the, the save percentage for the team is 885 which is actually pretty terrible yep uh you know what i mean but they're they're scoring so many goals. They're just, uh, you know, I know they like. To, I know Firstwater likes to play a little up tempo, but I'm sure he'd like to see a little more defense as well. So to answer your question, I mean, I, you know, they definitely are top heavy. It's working to some extent. They are, you know, in the NCAA hunt again, which some people thought that would not happen this year because of the, the losses that they have. But, um, but I don't know if it's a long-term like winning formula as far as being a contender is concerned. They're going to need better goaltending, and I don't know where they're going to get it from really because it, you know none of those guys they have have really proven that at this point. So they almost have no choice but to outscore people. One of the biggest surprises on Western Michigan, though, I must say, has been uh, defenseman Zach Galambos because he's a transfer from American International, and you know obviously people know American International because lately they've won their league a lot of times, but they're not you know. They're not considered, obviously, to have a, a team with a lot of blue chippers. So here, here, all of a sudden, you know, their best player goes to the best league, the NCHC, and he's been great. You know, I mean, kind of proving that. Look, I mean, what you do in Atlantic hockey can translate to a bigger level. He's got 16 points in 22 games, 
and a plus 16 from the back line. So, you know, big player, 6'2", I mean, he's he's really been tremendous. Uh, I don't know if anyone really expected him to be that good. So, mm-hmm. but they, they're going to need, they're going to need more, obviously. They're going to need more from uh, their other lines defensively more than anything to be able to be really competitive in the postseason. Uh, any other stories that you're following that uh, we haven't touched on that we should or? Boy, you know, just there's there's so many things that are kind of ongoing in college hockey, the transfer portal and all that. I mean, yeah, it's kind of like we're all sick of talking about it already, but it <laughs> is uh, the, the, the ongoing thing, you know. I mean, one of the interesting things, I think, is that uh, if you look at the scoring leaders in college hockey this year, I mean, there's so many freshmen. Yeah. And a lot of that, you know, has been a, a process over the last 10 years or so because there's so many players at the high end who leave early. We know that, but, um, but even with that, I mean, this year really stands out uh, as much as anything. And, and a lot of people are, if you're watching the world juniors, I know a lot of your audience does, you're seeing a lot of these guys there, Adam Fantilli, Logan Cooley, Jimmy Snuggerud. I mean, this is three of the top 10 scorers in NCA right now. And that's not even, you know, and McAllister is leading and he's a freshman. We just, talked about with Western Michigan, but those other three guys, obviously high-end NHL draft picks. And I would not be shocked if one of those three guys, or even McAllister, or one of those four, winds up being the third freshman Hobie winner of all time, following uh, two pretty good guys in Paul Curry and Jack Eichel. So, wow. uh, you know, that's something to keep an eye out for, obviously, as far as who will win the Hobie this year. Awesome. When does your uh, podcast come out, or is it out already for this week? For this week, the one with Jason Herter, yeah, that's uh, that's out already. You can find that as I, as I mentioned before on the site or uh, in, you know, just by searching College Hockey News. Uh, usually, we publish on uh, by Wednesday evenings. So, talking to you here on Thursday. So, there you go. Should be out this week already. Outstanding, Adam. As always, man, appreciate your time. All right, thank you, sir. And there you have it, Adam Wooden from College Hockey News to wrap up this week's episode of the Pipeline Show. Should be a great second half to the NCAA college hockey season. Get into the playoffs and down the stretch. Of course, we start talking about Hobie. And uh, on this show, we look at the Canadians who are nominated for the Hobie Baker and for some of the big awards this year. Maybe there's a, a Canadian vying for the Mike Richter Award as top collegiate goaltender. We'll keep uh, our eyes on that for sure. All right, next week on the Pipeline Show, uh, obviously it's going to be fallout from the CHL trade deadlines. We'll uh, tap into all three leagues and see if the uh, landscape, the power structure has changed across the uh, WHL, OHL, and Q with whatever moves are made between now and then. And uh, we'll probably chat with a, a player who's draft eligible as well. So we'll do all of that next week. Until then, get out and watch some junior and college hockey so that we can chat about it next week right here on the Pipeline Show. It's brought to you by Wilhawk Beef Jerky. My name is Keith Flaming. See ya! <laughs>